everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, I am privileged to interview um, another cousin of mine. If you've been keeping up with When I Grow Up, um, I've had three other cousins on, and it's all on my dad's side. Um, if you listen to the lawyer episode, that was my cousin Alicia. And now this is her younger brother, Jason, Jason Kim. Hey, Jay, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Blair, thanks for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. I know things are really crazy, I'm sure, and busy, but um, I value your time. And I'm excited to hear about what you got, what you do. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, like, so I was just telling Jason that it's been really cool to hear what my cousins do because I'm the youngest if you're again if you're new to the podcast of my on my dad's side and I'm always been the baby of the family right Jay like everyone just kind of <laughs> you might still be six years old in my mind but uh, yes yeah, exactly like exactly and um so I've never talked to you guys like in this capacity of like what do you do? Like, you know, how do you make money? How do you live? And it's been really cool, like finding out different things about you guys. So um, I will not talk anymore. And I just want to jump right in. Um, Jay, can you tell us what do you do? <laughs> All right. My name is Jason Kim, and I am a supercomputer systems administrator. Now, real quick, uh, we'll I, I do work for um, ExxonMobil Information Technology, supporting research and development here in Clinton, New Jersey. So quick disclaimer I have to give, which is I'm here speaking solely on my own behalf, uh, and I'm not here on behalf of the company, um, all that all that jazz. So real quick, that was quite a mouthful, right? What, what even is a supercomputer in the first place? So um, a supercomputer, it's not just a really large or a really powerful computer. Um, it's actually a computer that's made up of um, sort of normal-sized computers, really. Uh, and if you just get a lot of them working together and configured to work together, um, you can create a large parallel system to use all of them simultaneously. And that is a supercomputer. So um, an analogy that I use when I describe this is to imagine, say, uh, uh, a dorm room or apartment uh, room filled with like a thousand laptops. So that, that sounds a lot like the description I just gave, right? A, a bunch of computers put together in, in, in a room. And how is that not a supercomputer? Well, there are a couple of key differences. First is um, you got to be able to turn them on. Um, at some point, all the laptops are going to run out of battery. And if you try plugging in a thousand laptops into the uh, wall outlets in an apartment, um, it's probably not going to work out well. Do not do this. So yeah, you need to figure out the electricity um, two is that even if you did get all the electro, uh, the laptops on, um, you would have an issue with heat because, you know, all laptops generate, um, batteries and, or sorry, laptops and computers generate heat when they're, um, when they operate. And, um, once you start scaling up to that, you know, thousand laptops, it's going to make your room really hot. And you, if you don't have a solution for getting rid of that heat or, and, and cycling in, fresh air or some way to cool it, um, all of your laptops are going to melt down. So that's another issue. Um, third is all the laptops are just individual computers. How do they even talk to each other in order to work together as one? Um, and you might say maybe they're all connected to the internet. I mean, there's of course a, a big cabling and, and networking issue anyways to 
because most most uh, apartments or or dorm rooms aren't really fitted with uh, the capability to network a thousand computers in one place. Um, so that that's another logistic that has to be filled out. Um, and then even so, uh, beyond that comes the configuration of okay. Now even if you figure out all those things, you now have to configure all a thousand of those laptops to be equal and simultaneously commandable to, to work on a single like project or job. And um, that is the essence of having a supercomputer so much that the uh, career field called high performance computing or HPC has, has arisen from that. And um, that's the field I'm in. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Did that take you by surprise? <laughs> no, it's not. Well, a little bit cuz I like I thought it doesn't matter what I thought. I <laughs> I thought you were like in like research and development for some reason. I am. Yes. Is it, is I, that, like I said, it's like I, a, I work for research and development, right? Okay. So like your title, can you say your title one more time for me? The title I I gave here was supercomputer systems administrator. Okay. So like your job with these this supercomputer for your company is what? So I take care of the supercomputer. So I'm the I'm one of the administrators that um, works on the hardware. I am part of you know the 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 construction and maintenance. Um, I help out users. We're we're pretty full full stack here. But um, my my typical typical day, well, typical prior to 2020. It was a combination of office desk work and um, physical infrastructure work. So I would check the status of the systems. Um, I would do everything from hardware to configuration to um, operating system to helping out users. There is a customer service aspect to it, of course, in the in the IT field, um, doing installation, maintenance, and repairs. Okay. So... Um... Technically, so you're just like not not just, but like in my layman's term, like you're you're an IT person, like you yeah. you're like a troubleshooter for this supercomputer. Pretty much, yep. That's crazy. So why does Exxon Mobil need a supercomputer? Do well, a lot most... of companies have supercomputers? Yes, um, uh, quite a, quite a few do. Uh, te- uh, typically in the geoscience um, industry. Uh, or oil and energy industry. A supercomputer is often used for um, geological simulations. Uh, a lot of really tough physical science that um, nowadays just needs a lot of compute horsepower to just grind through the the calculations. Um, you know, other other supercomputers around the world they they'll focus on things like astronomy, um, weather calculations. Uh, and simulations, um, and of course, the newest field with with GPUs and um, the the latest hardware is coming out. Uh, there would be like machine learning or uh, or AI. And deep, right. Uh, these these are all things that um, have become possible now because of supercomputers and how they've evolved over the years and the HPC field. Um, there there is even a uh, a list called the Top 500 list that gets published. Uh, twice every year, that ever since the early 90s has tracked uh, the publicly available information about the largest supercomputers in the world. 
usually the <clears throat> the public ones are the ones owned either by universities or uh, national laboratories, uh, stuff stuff like that, and um, it, it's served as sort of a benchmark for computing in general. Like eventually, the the technologies and the techniques that are discovered with and the the boundaries that are pushed with trying to get the most amount of you know work compute work out of your hardware eventually does make it to the the public sector like for example this uh the the phone that i carry around in my pocket that i bought in 2018 is more powerful than the most supercomputer was in the year 2000 mm. and <laughs> just just kind of like that um now um, maybe this this came as kind of a surprise to you because um, may, maybe you heard of me saying that I actually grew up as a chemical engineer. Yes. So, <laughs> uh, right. So, so through through a whole process here, I, hopefully, I'll be able to explain that I technically still am. Um, but but what happened was um, by about uh, eighth grade, I knew that I wanted to be a chemical engineer. What? How did you know that? Yeah, very young, right? Not not. Not not too typical, but um, at, at least at that age, it was pretty straightforward. Like I had a natural affinity for chemistry and engineering. Chemistry, I'm not sure why. Um, something about the natural aspect of learning about chemistry just came very naturally to me, and and I and I just enjoyed it a lot. Hmm. And, probably because both of my parents are engineers. Right. It's, it's yeah, so just we've, something we've I talked about with. this several times on the podcast with right. the other cousins, like, you know, that we cover all of probably the engineering basis yeah. in each sector, if you know, <laughs> yeah. just on my dad's side. But. Yeah, it's all the same thing. You know, the the, the drive to have that curiosity to, to try to figure out and solve problems. It's, yeah. That's what motivates me and things like that. And um, yeah, I really just followed through on that vision all throughout high school until I reached, you know, I got my bachelor's of science in chemical engineering. So wait, quick question. Um, You mentioned that you've always just had an affinity to like problem solve and things like that. So like, are you the type of person that like, if there's a problem, you don't stop until you find the answer? Like, are you (laughs) that kind of person or? Um. Maybe maybe not to that that um, that extent, uh-huh. but more like whenever I, I solve problems, like it, maybe it just came from playing a lot of a lot of games growing. Yes, okay. Doing doing sort of puzzles and things like that. Mm. It, there, there there's something about that problem solving method that just is one of one of my just drives my my drive. Yeah. It, it may, maybe it started with growing up with Legos or Connect sets and and building things, you know, with in, instruction sets, and then building more abstract things uh, with with creativity. Um, maybe it was even part of my music training. Like I, I actually do tie a lot of my affinity for music and our family's affinity for music uh, with with what engineering is too. Like. Mm-hmm seem odd to to tie such an artistic thing with with a very stem or science and technology thing but but there's actually a lot of crossover i feel no yeah definitely yeah so um however it happened uh eventually yeah i i I just 
some, something about solving problems in that. It, it's kind of like the same where people suddenly, or rather people just inherently know that they want to help other people mm-hmm. and become doctors or teachers or, you know, or they want to teach and become teachers, that kind of thing. For me, it was just, I, I want to solve problems. That's so <laughs> fascinating and so interesting to me. Um, okay. So, um, you always knew like starting in eighth grade, that's kind of the direction you wanted to go in. Right. So entering college, it was so clear for you then. Right. And, and I, and I do recall meeting a lot of people where this wasn't the case. Like I, I, I might be able to directly empathize with that. You know, a lot of people come, go into college and it's mostly, there's no direction and the college experience is made to give them the, the sort of generalized uh, experience so that they can discover what they want to do. So in my case, um, both in high school and college, it was actually a lot more, it was a different type of struggle. It was a because because I already knew what to, I wanted to do, that meant I needed a very specific uh, curriculum and I needed specific direction and support in order to get to that goal. And a lot of things that are designed to not be that specific. So I, I actually struggled against the school system quite a bit. Like I recall in high school, um, all of the, the uh, language arts programs and the electives that were uh, available to choose, um, I had to go really hard against the grain in order to get the science-based ones that I want. Like I was one of the only people who chose both biology and chemistry to double science as like the optional elective in addition to computer science. Yeah, that's a little crazy in my opinion. (laughs) And I mean, even further for my senior paper, it was almost assumed that everyone would write a paper that was either based off of history or, or English. Sure. I, and I fought really hard against the grain to write my thesis about mathematics and I was the only kid in my student <laughs> class that did that. So, and, and of course, th- this wouldn't have happened without the support of just fantastic teachers. Like, I think I also got fairly lucky with mm. what I was in, um, which were all of my STEM, so science, technology, engineering, mathematics teachers were fantastic across the board, up, up and down all the way through college. Like, I, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it without that. So that's amazing. That's number one, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, even even in college, uh, definitely those those first freshman years when you you meet a lot of people who who enter engineering for the various different reasons. Uh, they they don't even maybe know what type of engineering they want to go into, or they just want to be an engineer because you know, they they heard that it was good opportunities, or there were good jobs, or it made a lot of money. And um, yeah, all those things are true, but, but, but it's also difficult, right? Like we don't have to beat around the bush here. Like engineering is difficult and Mm -hmm. chemical engineering. So the key there is that chemical engineering wasn't just about learning the technical skills because eventually you're going to have to understand a lot about how heat and temperature works. You're going to have to learn about how fluids move. You're going to have to do all the, you know, all the, all the grind in the science, but but also, um, and let me put it this way: the reason why chemical engineers can often graduate and basically go do whatever they want afterwards is because they've learned how to learn. The only way to survive 
a chemical engineering curriculum is to be able to learn. Interesting. And that is actually the key skill to pick up. Yeah. No, I mean, now that you mentioned that, I'm actually thinking about a uh, recent graduate that's in chemical engineering, and he's doing something kind of different than what I expected him to do. But now that you say that, I think it's true. Like, I think he's able to be flexible in his field because his ability, yeah, his ability to learn and like, yep. yeah, that's interesting. Well, okay. so, so yeah, not every chemical engineer can get an oil and energy job. Um, a lot of them like I, I can speak for my classmates who went off to work for um, some went to work for Anheuser-Busch and became uh, brewers of, of, of beers. Some went off to medical school, some went off to law school, uh, and then some continued their traditional education in into, you know, graduate school for for a variety of things, including chemical engineering. But the, the point being is that um, it, that ability to learn is is the true thing that you learn as a chemical engineer. So, so my advice would be if, if you were um, entering school and you had really had the drive to do something like that, that challenging with a, with a really solid payoff at the end too. Um, chemical engineering is actually the way to go. Like mm. might not exactly align with the, the course material or you, or you may, but ultimately it'll, it'll force you how to learn. It'll it'll show you whether you have the capability to learn or and or not. Interesting. Okay, so let let's get back to your job. So, like you said, you in you are, in fact, a chemical engineer. But how is that yes. consistent with what I think a chemical engineer looks like? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so another thing that happened at least during my childhood is that I grew up in this early computing era. I, I grew up with um, the, like the first cell phones. I grew up with the first like internet. Um, and I knew from the get-go that this technology would be a part of the future. So even though I, you know, I, even though I went into this field of chemical engineering, I always chose um, different options and choices to use and learn about computers at the same time. Um, and so you did that on your own volition, like on my own volition. Yes. Oh, because, because I, I just simply recognized, um, that computers would be part of the future. And, and, and that's, that's sort of the case here. Like in, when, when these supercomputers are used in R and D, that's basically a laboratory, right? Like, like you're, you're running these simulations that are, that are discovering and looking for the science very like exactly equivalent to what a traditional chemical engineer would have had to do at a laboratory setting or you know at some distillation column to to process process your crude oil or whatever right um so and 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 that that is in fact how how it has turned out and is is still projecting to go in the future um so i, I yeah i i made it a well okay my parents helped out a little too they 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 kind of understood that computers were important to at least teach me how to type when I was like, you know, nine years old or eight years old or whatnot, um, and, and use basic computer skills and things like that. Um, but beyond that, uh, yeah, like I, I learned what, what software programming was and that, that eventually led me to this job. Um, and, and in, in more in specific, being in the oil and energy industry, like having the knowledge 
like I still use direct information that I learned as a chemical engineer um, in to to apply to my job. Like it, you know, ultimately it does help to know to at least understand the concepts of what your customers are trying to do. Uh, you know, with a com- computer, it it does it does help out, and to at least understand the the industry and and the science behind the industry, especially in R and D. So. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of my job is sort of this hybrid mix between maybe what that traditional um, system admin, IT system admin would be like, except it's for a supercomputer, and um, I, I'm not the one doing the hard traditional chemical engineering either. But it's sort of that overlap between the two where where we all work together to to get these research problems uh, looked at. Interesting. I just never imagined. I mean, I say this constantly on this podcast, but like, there are just so many jobs that I don't even think about, you know, and it's like yeah. so crazy. Okay, so um, right out of college, like, were you like looking for this type of job? Or mostly yeah so you cut you knew like you knew like what you were looking for then kind kind of um when i i i I remember my specific um job searching had 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 a small little um directional event that occurred which was i was in college when the um texas city incident happened what's that the, so that was when there was an explosion at in in Texas City at, at a BP refinery, and um, oh, I remember a little. Yeah, bit. right. There were a lot of yeah, there were a lot of casualties and incidents. It was like yes. a huge thing. And as a growing chemical engineer, I was kind of shocked by that because I was like, wow, that that was me, right? Like the the people there were basically like what I was going to do. So um, I had to think pretty extensively about like what I was going to do in terms of um, like my future career, like how, how, because it really could literally affect my life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I'm certainly happy that I went to at least a company that was very safety conscious, but also the opportunity to work in research development for the first place. Um, Because after college, I basically decided that I was done with school. I, I said that I've fought the system enough. <laughs> I've struggled enough. I've gotten as much as I want, and I, I, I want to go out there and work. And I always really liked, you know, that that research and development style of of, of study and, and work. So, um, so the thing is that most R and D positions or positions with R and D uh, don't require it, but most most assume that you're at least at a PhD level or above. Um, but I said, no, I would like to work here. And I got the job. No way. That's not how it went down. I, there's more to this story. <laughs> no, really, I, I, I interviewed. I mean, technic, I mean, technically, I first interviewed with the traditional engineering in um, back then. It was in, in Fairfax for, for ExxonMobil. Um, but then... They were like, you know what? Why don't you try research development in Clinton, New Jersey? And then I interviewed up here, and it that was just a that was just a better fit. Yeah, I could use all of my chemical engineering background training. 
I could use all of the extra um, efforts that I put into learning about computer systems and software development, and that's that's how I landed my first job. So you're saying that normally this position that you currently have, they kind of require or expect to have a PhD level um, degree. But you're <laughs> no, saying not not, that... not my specific position. No, no, no. No, no. But but I, in all. In all of R&D in general, like I right. would say about 75% of people that work in R&D with uh-huh. PhDs. No, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. Right. <laughs> so I'm just trying to let people know like that my cousin is a genius. But no. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, but in, in real, like for real though, like, um, like I'm sure people are wondering, you know, like what, what, I mean, was it your grade, like your grades, your performance in college? Was it like the way you interviewed? What was it that they were like, you know what, like he is capable of doing this? Um, honestly, it was a lot of it came from the fact that I survived chemical engineering. Like <laughs> some, it might be that. Really? Yeah. Like people who are able to come out of chemical engineering, you can expect that they have learned how to learn. Mm. So the other question, the, or the other side of this, would actually be people questioning, because because my first position wasn't actually in supercomputing. My first position was in uh, a group called Informatics, where we did data workup, and I was actually a software programmer. So the oh. real question was, how did you become a software programmer without actually having yes background yes like you'll notice (laughs) i I said that i did not even major in computer science well what happened was that in my chemical engineering um curriculum there are occasional cases like we did take a programming class and we did do things on the computer um and here's here's a small a, a small secret but but chemical engineers are typically not good Programmers. (laughs) Programmers. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I... typically not good. <laughs> so oftentimes, there, there's often group activities in engineering, and um, when when it came time to do these engineerings, I would step up and be the one that would be the either the the one that did the programming, the one that did the solid works to do the 3D modeling. I'd be the one that was doing the um, Aspen in. I don't know, gosh, I don't know if they still, I hope they still use that in chemical engineering, but to, you know, to, to draw the, and, and simulate the, um, distillation powers. Uh, and I was the one that, that coded as well when we had to do, uh, C programming. So o- over time, I, I just kind of became known as the chemical engineer that could actually do it. <laughs> I became, I became trusted in my class to be able to actually program things or do computer things and everyone else was kind of bad at it so i just i just did. yeah just took the reins man so yeah. coding too like did you learn that or you taught yourself how to do that um a lot a lot of it is more is self-taught uh the the basics of object-oriented programming i did get in school um i didn't really understand it beforehand but um yeah i i really did have to through at least through my my first assignments and and through my current one as well, I, I basically ta- taught myself all 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 of that. Yeah, all the all the aspects of of programming, um, and now all the aspects of of Linux and the Linux operating system. 
I don't. Is that a language? Computer language? It would be like you have Windows, <laughs> Macintosh, and Linux. Oh, I see. I see. Like operating <laughs> systems. What, what runs the What runs the computer? Right. <laughs> Listen, I'm like clueless right now. Okay. So it's okay. <laughs> but okay, so you started in computer programming at with this company then software programming. Yeah, pretty much. Interesting. That's so cool. So like. You know, I don't even know. I should have, like, asked you before this interview started. And it's okay. If you feel uncomfortable answering it, just say, pass. Okay, I'll let you know when we get to the point where I can't reveal confidential information. Okay, yeah. Because I'm sure there's, like, confidentiality. Yeah, yeah. You know, (laughs) research and development for an oil and energy company. I mean, for sure there's confidentiality. But, um, like, so... Oh man! So like, is it true? Is it true that like you did something to like help the company? <laughs> is that true? Oh, I mean, I I do that all the time. No, no, like really <laughs> big. Like you did like something with the software, and it helped the company. <laughs> in in general, in the most general terms, of course, yes. We have a, quite a few users of the supercomputer. In addition to my old job, like. Our, our particular okay I'm gonna go on the on, on a very quick side tangent of describing the public facing portions of, of our R&D yes okay it, it, I can boil it down to if you've seen a, a commercial or a, a YouTube video that is about actual technology from ExxonMobil and not one of the marketing you know the marketing or gas station uh, commercials but the actual ones about technology that is most likely come from us in Clinton New Jersey uh. Going backwards or reverse chronological order, things like the carbon capture initiatives, um, the algae biofuel projects, uh, the the hydrogen fuel cell battery film, things like that, that all came from our site. And I, I'm just going to simply say that it, it's all real. And the even the even down to the people in the commercials themselves are are in fact real scientists that that I work next to. So cool. My cousins are so cool. <laughs> I just feel privileged to be in the same like family as them. But um, I like wanted to ask you a more specific question, but I feel like it's going to get all of us in trouble. So I'm not going to ask. <laughs> but anyways, anyways. Um, so, you know, like, wh- do you like what you do, Jason? Like, yeah. What do you like about it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, um. Being able to work in research and development is certainly a privilege, and it's 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 so great, especially for someone like me who just really loves that um, the, that scientific discovery and things like that. Um, it's it it's actually probably the closest that the public sector gets to the I'm oh, sorry the the private sector gets to the public sector or academia because that sort of it's called in general it's called blue sky research where you're trying to to research like really brand new concepts, novel things, and, and you're just surrounded by all of that, right? And and of course, I'm just surrounded by so many clever scientists, mm-hmm. um, and I I am just constantly learning like every day. Like I I learn more and more about being um, it, well now specifically being a system administrator for for Linux. I work I learn more and more about hardware, and like I said. I, I am still a chemical engineer, so I learned more about uh, now electricity and water systems. Um, something that's happened to supercomputer, supercomputers of the past decade is that um, 
you basically can't have a super supercomputer without water now. Um, back in maybe 2006, it was pretty much unheard of to have water anywhere near a computer. It was, you, you cool the computer with air and fans, and that's the only way it works. Um, around 2009 is when, like, more of the first... And so, so when the first speech or the, the first lecture was given on this concept, everyone basically just called the guy crazy, right? Like, you, you can't put water into a computer. It's a piece of electricity. What are you doing? Um, by about 2009 is when the first installation started occurring. And by 10 years later, 20, you know, 2019, at least 2017, it's basically now unheard of to have a supercomputer without some sort of water cooling component because mm. it's that good and it's that efficient. Like you use, you use water to cool your computers instead of just air. Um, and, and, and so like, my mind is like, right. Now. <laughs> as part of the, so, so now the heavy implication is you do have to understand a little bit about heat transfer and, and water flow and water systems especially within their conjunction with, with, with computer systems. And that sounds exactly like how I was raised mm. of chemical engineering and computer science. Uh, so that, that's the other thing about, um, th this is sort of a, a difficulty in addition to being like the, the great part of the job, which is this industry, high performance computing moves very, very fast. Uh, you have to constantly be learning and constantly be researching the current and future technologies to keep up. Like everything evolves in HPC so quickly because it is cutting edge, because it is leading the way for the entire world, basically, on what's going to happen to computers. It, it sort of is the benchmark of what we as like even human beings have been able to accomplish with computing resources. And and there's an entire history of that too. It's it's all it's all graphed out now. Again top 500 is is the way that you at least track that through since since the early 90s but it it's it's been a constantly growing field and you can see how all of the hardware and the configurations of of these supercomputers has progressed over the years mm. um just having a lot of uh flexibility and just natural interest in it is is what I love about this job too um i like, like I said, I can, I can work remotely, but because, because I am the one that's also the uh, hardware infrastructure specialist, um, I have had to go into work every once in a while, uh, even throughout this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and that's, that's certainly been its, its, own, its, its own set of um, uh, interesting stories there. Um, like but, what? Uh, can you tell me one? What's an interesting story? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so... Because so again, like I said, I we're here in New Jersey, so that means our we were one of the first states that were that was hardest hit in the United States. Yeah. Um, but so so by about mid March is is when everything started shutting down, and we we're we were told to go home, and the executive order started coming in. And around April was the first time that enough stuff had piled up that that was like okay, someone's got to go into work and and get it get it checked out. And, but, but the thing is around, around in April, um, like the, the stay at home and lockdown order was very serious in yes. the point that there were like police would, 
would stop you if you weren't supposed to be on the road in your car. So I actually had to get permission and a, uh, a letter to show to police that I was okay to be on the road because I needed to go do something critical, right? That's crazy. <laughs> and, 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 and of course, there was an entire, there was a whole experience about like what, what the cleaning procedures were and not, not to mention seeing a building just like population of no one inside, right? Right. As opposed to something you're so used to seeing bustling and you look around at all the, the cubicles and it's like, wow, will the concept of cubicle even exist after this? Like, what what is going to happen? And there were all these questions and there was there was the the faint smell of, of a hand sanitizer just everywhere. It, it like like almost like a hospital. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man. Yeah, it was it was. Easy. Wow, those first months and and over over each subsequent month like i've still sort of had to go in every once in a while to, to take care of uh, issues and, and maintenance and things um but uh yeah I've, I've sort of gotten to see firsthand at least the new jersey state response to how how things have changed mm. um yeah even the concept of like eating lunch at work has, right. has, has evolved right yes yeah, so that that's definitely been an um, an experience. So yeah, I haven't had to, I, I, or rather, I haven't been able to work completely from home uh, for my particular job. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that is that has definitely been something that we we were not we were not expecting at all. Yeah, I mean, you and the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, it's been so crazy. But um, anyways, to continue what we were talking about. I, I just was really curious to like, you know, how things have been evolving for you um, in this situation. Um, and thank you for answering it so transparently. Um, but yeah, so you were saying like you enjoy the flexibility of just even, um, I mean, you, you, I mean, you seem to really love what you do, Jason. Like, yeah, what a gift, you know, like not everyone can say that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that th- those are probably some of the luckiest things that happened to me uh, coming out of school, which mm. was really finding a, a job and a position that matched so well with not only my interests but my the skills that I have developed. Mm, yes. Uh, the the other lucky thing was unfortunately timing. So and I say that unfortunately because I know what happened after me. I graduated in two thousand and seven, mm-hmm. and there was still just a good job market. People could get jobs at a fairly regular pace, especially for engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then 2008 and yeah. maybe it, uh, and, and things changed drastically. So, um, that, that, that is, that is something that I just have to mention, <laughs> which is, um, sometimes it, it unfortunately can just come down to luck and timing. Yeah. These types of things. But um, the good part about at least about engineering is that it's such a core technical skill. Mm-hmm. That, um, as, if you're able to do it, like you, you should be a lot better off in in terms of finding finding a job or making a living for yourself, or at the very least having the flexibility to learn and continue on and pivot to something else. Right. Like, like this all comes back to what I said about chemical engineering, right? right yeah. And to be learners. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. And and I, I guess other benefits of like the, the engineering career path is that like um, I, I know that there's a, a phrase that's common with some careers where it's like, 
oh, if you want to advance, like, it really, like, none of that actually matters. Like, it, it just really matters who you know, right? Yeah, like networking and stuff. A bunch in, in other, yeah. In, <laughs> so so the, the plus side to engineering is that it's probably the career path with the least amount of that, mm-hmm. um, where you can heavily um, do performance and skill-based, like, merit, or use that merit to get at and, and be successful at your job. Mm-hmm. But don't get me wrong, there is still a small portion of that that does exist so so technically like you have to be comfortable not only in your technical skills but also these the the more traditional soft skills and and business skills and um team teamwork interactions and all all the different business interactions as well at least to some some minimal minimal amount Mm. and and that's probably the the recommendation i would give most to um, any aspiring chemical engineer, which is, yes, it is really, really hard. The, the information you're learning and all of the uh, raw classwork um, learning and skills that you're doing is hard. It's going to be, everyone knows that. But don't neglect the other side. You, you still need to be able to work in teams. You still need to be able to communicate. You still need to be able to develop personal interactions with people and and, and you know, establish relationships, um, and just go go a little a little above zero or a little above minimum to pay attention to the development of those soft skills. Because uh, I know I know you can do it <laughs> if you're already in chemical engineering. Then I know you can learn how to do that stuff. But um, it's not it's not just about the learning curriculum. Like uh, I, I think I even give our um, little little cousins on the other side. Uh, that, that advice starting middle school, which is, <laughs> which, which is, yeah, when you go to school, yeah, you're there to learn, but it's not all about what, uh, what you're learning in the classroom. It's not just learning what the teacher is telling you. Mm-hmm. Learning about the entire school experience and the the experience of interacting with, with um with other children, with kids that could be just the worst bullies it you've ever met in your life, and maybe the greatest person who will become your best friend for life and everyone in between. And most people, this just comes more naturally than maybe more extroverted people. Uh, this, this comes more naturally, but for, for me, I would say that I'm probably the most introverted out of all, all five of us cousins. So, so for me, these skills are not, they, they just don't come to me as naturally. Like as, as much as I have an affinity for chemistry and mathematics, um, these soft skills, I just don't do as naturally. I, I know, like Blair, when you when you grew up and stuff, like I, I know that you were able to always, um, you you were able to always capture a room. You always had a shining confidence that you're able to to say what you what you wanted and 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 to always speak your mind and to be like strong and 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 very like well more, a little more extroverted about it. But but that was not the case for me. Like talking was difficult interacting with people is difficult um and that that would be my recommendation which is to not neglect those skills as well because ultimately soft skills are still skills Mm -hmm. um being able to at at least at above a bare minimum um still still at least respect that adage of yeah yeah you want you still want to develop relationships with people and and build 
build trust because ultimately that leads to teamwork efficiencies and ultimately that leads to better productivity anyways. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I may put on a, a very small business manager hat there. But, <laughs> but yeah, being able to work in, in inclusive teams, um, being able to uh, communicate effectively with multiple different types of, of people. Like, like I said, if I interact with not only customers, but also team members and then, and then business managers, um, there, there are different types of languages that you use for all this. And um, oftentimes when you're in engineering, language is just something, language and these, these soft skills are something that are just more neglected. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I would say don't, don't neglect those and, and keep working on them. Yes. I mean, I absolutely love what you just said. I think there are people listening that struggle and these are the obstacles for them. You know, and they really need to hear it from somebody that's been there and is succeeding in life right now. And um, I feel like, yes, of course, those are good uh, tools. I, I personally don't feel like it's that important. But for somebody and like you said, I think obviously you and I, we have different strengths and weaknesses. I can never do what you do ever, never. And so <laughs> and I, I don't think I could ever be a podcast. So yeah. <laughs> it's just not in me. <laughs> And but but all that to say, yes, I think I loved what you said about like school is not just about education. Um, It's about so much more. And if you miss out on it, you know, you're going to miss out on other opportunities um, later on in life. And I think that's so great, Jason. I think that's I'm like, yes, I I need like, honestly, when you're talking like, oh, I need to tell Eli and Zoe this. Like when they're (laughs) Yeah, fortunately for me, I learned it just a little too late. So, no, that's not yeah. true. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it, it took me a while. It, it definitely took me a while. Like, I, I, I actually remember on um, on my wedding night was probably, or sorry, the, the night before my wedding night at our at the family dinner. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I ever had to fully flex and, and use like basically every single social skill that I had developed in my entire lifetime. And it was like one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do to go around and, and work a room and, and to like talk to all, all the different, like every single different type of family member that was there. Yes. And some things. Um, that, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I very distinctly remember that being like one of the biggest challenges that I've ever done. But then also, like, it's just one of the most striking moments of me, of, of, of me, like, just nailing it. Actually, actually doing that, that sort of extroverted thing. And, and I, I see the look of amazement in your, in your face a little bit. But that, that kind of thing is, is not natural to a person like me. Like, that, that had to be uh, learned and practiced and trained at least up to that point to, to get anywhere close to that. And, and honestly, I, it was it, that 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 moment was such a blur as well because, um, like, yeah, it, it, <laughs> there was just so much happening at once. Like, it was so like, crazy. No, my my face right now, Jay, is like I remember that night like so yeah. clearly. I don't know why, but I. So this was ten years ago. You for did everyone so listening. great. You were great because, like, I think for me, I was. It was kind of a whirlwind experience for myself as well. Um, 
I mean, just some background, you know, like Jay, he did something like something I would never imagine any of us doing. But, you know, him and Lisa found each other in the most unique way. Is it okay if I share this a little bit? Oh, yeah, go for it. Um, I mean, you should just share it. But... (laughs) (laughs) But no, your version no. is probably better than mine. But I just real quick, um, on that night, um, the rehearsal. You're talking about the rehearsal dinner, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like it's funny that you bring that up because I remember that night so clearly, and I remember thinking, like, oh man, this sucks. Like, this is this is a lot of work, you know? Because <laughs> like, <laughs> like having to talk to everybody, and then like you guys, you did the humble thing too, right? You guys did all that and everything. I remember it's like it's like a lot of work, and you you guys were so great, and I just I. Jason, thank you for being so transparent that that was not an easy thing for you because somebody that is introverted to like admit that, you know, you have to work towards this is is something that's so refreshing for me to hear. And um, but yeah, like, oh, yeah. So anyways, going back to the whirlwind um, for me, it was just like, what's going on? Jason's engaged and getting married and like it was a surprise for me and then they told me hey you got to fly out to Arizona and I was like what <laughs> like, what's happening <laughs> but I was like and then again I, I had this complex of like I'm all no one ever tells me anything like I'm the youngest <laughs> and everyone leaves me out all the time <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean but, that's partially my my fault since I'm I'm the worst at 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 spreading news or gossip or anything like that. No, no. Right. So, so, but, but this did come on really quickly and uh, hopefully this ties together in a very similar fashion to me describing how in eighth grade, I just knew I was going to be a chemical engineer. Um, in, in 2010, I, I, I just knew that I was going to marry Lisa. That, that's just how, like, this comes actually comes from my, my, uh, no, no, this, this comes from my dad. So yeah, sure. Yeah, you're right. So, so he, he, I, like, th- this is how he functions too. Like, there are just some decisions that I just know what to do. Um, there, there are some problems that just get solved in my head. So the entire courtship process, uh, you know, that, that people typically go through in terms of, like, uh, relationships and, and commitment and things like that, like, I did the very engineering style analysis in my head and everything checked off and, I just move forward with it. Like th- th- that's that's just sort of how how things happen for me. Wait, so- that there. Wait, you're missing the <laughs> core part of the story, though. Like, so how did you guys meet? Tell us so, the your love story, even though oh, okay, it was a very calculated quick. love story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this, so the real quick the the real quick how to find love tangent, right? Yes. So yes, by 2010, um, I'd already so I've been working at my job for for 13 years, and by since 20, 2007. I right out of college. And by about 2010, um, I was nearing about to turn 25, which uh, that that was sort of the agreed upon age with my mom uh, to say, OK, if I don't, you know, go go do my own relationship thing and, and make it by by the age of 25, then she would start, you know, playing playing matchmaker <laughs> in, in Korean American families. Uh, that that means something um, slightly, slightly scary. <laughs> yes <laughs> the impact of what that could imply with uh our, our elder cousins previously so um so but 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 it was it was fast approaching and that and i was 24 
And um, I was actually almost resigned to to sort of giving up. Like I, I was I was out here in New Jersey. I was kind of alone, and I was kind of just working by myself. And and at around this time, um, the concept of of internet dating was still kind of new. But yeah, so like public. taboo at the time. I feel like right. It, so so I was right around the time when it was less taboo, but it maybe just wasn't as common. Sure, but now it's like, why aren't you internet dating? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's super. Yeah, it's super straightforward. Any level of relationship you want to find, you just there's there's an app for it now. Yeah. So yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, certainly back then there were only like a few different resources and things like that. And and I looked into them and I I tried them out and they were okay and and I got some dates and I met some people, but overall it wasn't really um, working out. And at some point I was just playing a a normal uh, game online and I was just talking to one person in that game, you know, as, as you would. And we just kept talking and talking and it just sort of eventually led to us talking over Skype since this, this person was, was not in the United States, but was in fact in, in Germany. And, Germany people. She yeah. Was in and, Germany. <laughs> and, and as, as, as we talked more and more, uh, it, it it just like I said, I, I just did the analysis in my head and and said this this is this is for me. So that 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 process of of first meeting to um, flying to Germany to go pick her up went from about February of 2010 to July of 2010. I love it. Such a great story. <laughs> yeah, and and honestly, when you look back at it, it's like, yes, I met a girl over the internet to marry her, but technically it was really just like any other chance meeting that you would have in mm -hmm. a standard like love story. It's just that in our case, it happened to be supported by the, the technologies of one, an internet game, and then two, Skype. Like if, if Skype didn't exist, uh, then this relationship would have never happened. Yeah. An interesting callback into what I said before about recognizing that computers and the internet technologies would be a key part of the future. Absolutely. Future. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty glad I at least figured those things out. But uh, yeah, it, it really was just a chance. Like it wasn't even a, a dating website or it wasn't anything forced. It just sort of naturally spawned just like two people could have met at a bar and had the exact same thing happen. Yeah, man, that I, you know, I actually never heard this story. I've always heard like <laughs> secondhand stories. I never asked you directly. So right. Really I, cool. Wait, okay. And, and so I'm sure I, the, the, just the speed of how it happened. Was yes. The most shocking thing. And then I was at the rehearsal dinner and you guys were just killing it. And I was like, whoa, okay. Like, I guess we're just going to do this. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely get that. Like, and, and I'm, I'm certainly super duper thankful for all the support from my family, but no. <laughs> it's probably like, I did not even give anyone a chance to, um, even, even breathe or, or respond back because of how fast it was. Like they thought like my, my dad actually has a very similar courtship story to my mom. Only the amount of time that it took is about double than what I did. Right. <laughs> so, so when he heard me like going through the process and describing what I was uh, doing, cause, cause I had to be like a little, a, a little secretive about it. Like, Hey, I'm going to Germany. 
<laughs> like I, he could sort of figure it out. So like by the time I came back to the United States, it was like, um, get, I'm getting married. Uh, my, my mom and dad were pretty kind of like ready to go and, and just get, get the process of, of all that marriage stuff put together. Like, because, because the original plan was, I was just going to do the marriage license in New Jersey and you know, that, that would be it. Yeah. They put together the, the entire thing to make it like uh, suddenly every single family member, which is unheard of, right? Especially on both sides of my family, every single family member could basically make it to that wedding and I feel like, and a lot of it was mostly out of just shock and bewilderment at how fast and how suddenly this <laughs> <just> came on. <laughs> because it was like, wait, what's happening? Right? But but that's just the type of person I am. Like, hopefully I've displayed from all of my sort of, you know, career planning decisions and things like that, that some I, I, I just make those types of decisions more confidently and securely than other people do. Like, I, that that concept of commitment or you know, relationships, I, I just viewed and analyzed differently. And yeah, yeah, we're, we're still married 10 years since. Yes. That's so, okay. Uh, sorry. When you were talking, I just thought of something I wanted to ask. And you were saying, you know, you, when you make a decision or you commit to something, you just, there's no, like, that's it. You've decided and it's so clear to you, but like in that clarity, is it like, like, are there like an analysis being happened in your mind or oh, like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the typical engineering um, type of thought process for that is it's always an iterative process. What is that? What is, what word so, did you just use? <laughs> iterative. So it's always a circle. Okay. When you go through a brainstorming process and you come up with an idea and then you analyze to see if it works and then you come to some sort of conclusion. Uh, typically, more information will always come around that will always challenge that conclusion. So you always go through the cycle of of saying, "Okay, is is my conclusion still valid?" Yes, and and then move on. Um, oftentimes, problems end there, like nothing else changes, so the conclusion that you had is still good. But so so, but when it came came to like marriage and things like that, um, I I. I went through a lot of iterative cycles going through my head to both affirm that she was in fact the one for me. And, and I, and I would always constantly challenge myself saying, am I just being desperate? Mm. That was a trap that I saw a lot of people who are like me fall into. And and so I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just making a choice just for the sake of making a choice, you know, like, yes, I, I did really think about it. And of course, from the outsider's perspective, it's like, what do you mean you, you, you met a girl for in four months and <laughs> and then and then three months guilty later, guilty. You, you, you got I love married, Lisa. Right? I love her. No, I totally get what it looks <laughs> like because the normal people, this is completely insane. Right? The, the, this is not the way that you make decisions like this. I mean, you, you hear all, all the time about guys who are just like who fear that commitment, right? Mm -hmm. Who do that thing. But for me, as every time I went through the iterative cycle of analyzing what was happening, it, it, it just kept on coming up positive. It, it kept on saying, yes, this is, this is correct. Um, like I, I could even, I could even say like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> oh man, this might be a, this might be a TMI 
Um, no, it's not. Not on this okay, podcast. You, Keep going. <laughs> sl- slight relationship tangent, right? So you know how sometimes um, if if a if 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 a if I get caught looking at another woman, or if if a if a man in a relationship get, gets caught looking at another woman, oftentimes that would evoke a feeling of jealousy, right? Because it's like, what are you looking at her for, right? Um, like, I, and, and you you know how that that can traditionally sure okay devolve, right? Um, but for me, every every time I see just another woman in in whatever context, um, it, it actually kicks off an iterative cycle, and and every single time it says, I I say, huh, could 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 this have been the woman that was actually my wife, and. It, uh, and every single time it says no, or it's like, is this woman better than my wife? And it's like, no, because my wife's my wife. And, and that actually goes through. And, and actually every single time that I see, like, even in a, someone that I would find attractive, it actually just simply solidifies my, my, my current thought and an, like conclusion that my wife is my wife. And I, it's, it's, I know it's it's the most weird engineering style and it's so dorky culture. all at the same time Jay <laughs> but I mean that's just kind of the way our brains work and yeah that's that's crazy though that that I, I might, like yeah. my brain does not do that and I think that's so interesting so okay going back to what we were talking about which I love this <laughs> tangent it was this is my kind of tangent yeah, that's how but, you get over the fear of commitment so there's <laughs> Um, But I mean, so like, even in problem solving, your brain must work like that, like different, different solutions, like, how are we going to fix this? Oh, this doesn't work. So we'll just go this way. Is it is that kind of the how it happens? Yeah, that's, that's sort of the basic outline. Um, And, and there are some nuances that are different when you look at problem solving with uh, computer programming. Um, There are some nuances or differences when working in the HPC field and especially working with the hardware itself, uh, let alone all, all the other um, complexities of, of keeping a soup computer up and running. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, that, that basic um, in, in, in core science classes, it's called the, the scientific method, right. Or that, that sort of create a hypothesis and um, you know, do do the observations and then find your conclusion type thing. It, it's all it's all at the raw level very similar. Um, and and in engineering, yeah, it's it's effectively the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. There just might be more um, different complexities with with sure. the technical portions of it because of a, a very specific specific engineering application. Um, and and that's that's a, probably another thing that's really good about engineering is that it is one of the fields that it. Like, like you do directly affect people's lives. Like maybe not as direct as you know first responders or people saving people's lives or things like that. Um, but the the decisions that you make and and the things that you do in engineering, um, they 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 can affect how the world is. Hmm. Like all of the core infrastructure of the world. And um, I, yeah, I guess you've probably talked a lot about this in, in various aspects with the other cousins, but um, or, or may, maybe not. I, I'm not I'm not sure, but um, yeah, you, you you it's it's a lot more direct than say 
a physical science where you're just making observations about the natural world around you and sort of trying to understand like how everything functions. Uh, in, in engineering, you have to say, okay, now that I understand enough of that, how do I apply that to actually impact people's lives? Mm. And there, there is like an entire set of engineering ethics that go along with it. It's not as, as um, well-known or as, as hard as the, uh, the medical one, but uh, there, there is still like a ethical dis- these ethical decisions that you make as an engineer as well. So by the way, top that, throw that on top of the pile too. So yeah, you have to not only be technically proficient, um, now I'm saying that you also have to have good soft skills and communication, um, but also there is an ethical p- component too. And it, it, like you do have to be somewhat psychologically strong and prepared to mm-hmm. these types of decisions because pe- people's lives could be on the line, exactly like, like Texas City. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Um, excuse me. No, I mean, we definitely talked about that with other cousins and, uh, you know, I mean, I talked about, talked to that, excuse me, talk to David about that also. Um, you know, he's not, he's a structural engineer and he's not, he's not, doesn't have his professional engineering license yet, but you know, having a PE is a big deal. You know, you're literally signing off on people's lives and the buildings that they're building. So, I mean, engineering in all aspects, it sounds like is I mean, it's critical to our way of life, honestly. Like, the things that we don't even think about, um, engineers are responsible for it. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Jason, is there anything that you don't like about your job? <laughs> oh, man. Um, not not too much, honestly. Um, That's great. Pro- probably, <laughs> although I do have to say that um, the the constant learning can be incredibly difficult. Mm. Uh, it, it may almost seem um, from an, an overall perspective, like kind of fruitless. How if, if you learn, like I, I would say that generations of HPC technology cycle about every three years, give or take. Well, uh, that's really quick. Right. It, about as quick as like, actual real upgrades to sure yeah if you can imagine cell phones in three-year intervals right how how different they they've been and imagine like at the cutting edge of all that comes all of these new technologies like i said with my my water cooling example like it a decade ago i could have or any generic hpc sysadmin could have known absolutely nothing about water cooling right we would we were just all about computers and it now it's like I like I I am I am the the facilities and and water cooling uh, overlap between making sure that that water is coming to our supercomputer and that we're using it and and everything all the logistics uh, you know involved with that right that that would that would just be a completely new skill that have to be learned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. skills um, will cycle way, way faster in, like, skills already cycle very fast in the IT industry itself. Sure, yeah. But even more so in in high-performance computing, like, double double the speed. So you'll see a lot of um, skills and and technologies that you learn become obsolete way quicker. And that that can be kind of disheartening, right? But um, 
at the same time, if if you really enjoy learning and you like learning new things and 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 seeing like the cutting edge of technology, then this is the right field to be in. Mm. So how do you keep up with all the learning? Like, what do you have to educate yourself or a lot other of training classes? classes? Oh yeah, there there it's a combination of of classes. It's um, just keeping an eye on generic news in the field. Um, there there are conferences to go to. Um, we're conferences <laughs> go to now. Now a lot of them are virtual. Um, but but yeah, a lot uh, there are just resources a lot of resources around the industry to to help try and, and deal with this. Um, and well, notably, a lot of those companies in the industry are trying trying to sell their product to say that we are the next thing that should invest in, in learning about us, right? Right, right, yeah. They have, they have an expressed interest in teaching you as well. It's sort of that win-win situation. Um, and, uh, but but yeah, there are almost, almost certainly if, if you have a preferred method of learning, which hopefully through succeeding in the chemical engineering uh, uh, degree, you should be you know somewhat familiar with which methods of learning are more effective for you and which aren't. That's that's another key thing to try and figure out about yourself. Um, but al- almost always there there will be a method that is available for you to 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 learn from. Yeah, that's good. Um, so we're coming to the end of our time together but Mm -hmm. I usually ask people you know if they have any advice but I feel like you gave a lot of sound advice already (laughs) Um, but I do want to ask you know maybe for someone that is thinking about going into chemical engineering or currently in the studies of chemical engineering um, in the middle of it um, do you have any like anything you feel like you would have done differently or do you have any advice for like maybe getting ahead of the game? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely if, if I could have done it differently, um, mostly no, like mostly everything that I chose, uh, on a technical level was fine. Um, and, and I think I mentioned it before, but the thing I would have definitely done differently was, uh, Develop more soft skills during school. Uh, learn learn more about interactions with with just other students and um, with with professors and teachers too. Mm. Who, again, thankfully, I had such good teachers in in, in science and, and mathematics fields that they could just teach me, and I I would just absorb it. In fact, at some point. Later in my um, education, I recognized that this was actually me being kind of gullible. Like <laughs> one of the things with my introversion was I was actually a very gullible kid, mm. which helped me learn in a certain way up to a point. Because if you think about it, if you're just really gullible and you're told things by a teacher, you just absorb it and take it, you know, at, at its sort of face value. And that, that's a really quick and easy way to learn. Um, which also means that if you have a bad teacher, you're not going to absorb anything at all. Right, right. And, and you're, you are susceptible to, well, getting scammed <laughs> information <laughs> implanted in you. So like, I'm really trying to hammer in, like I had some good teachers and I am so, so thankful for them, mm. them for leading me down the right paths and to getting, giving me the knowledge in a way that I could absorb. Yeah. But at some point, 
it was I, I recognized this that this was not sustainable a sustainable way for me to learn so uh, while it is useful um, you you do still need to be able to uh, question afterwards to analyze everything that you have learned afterwards to to vet it and and then be able to know how to react to that after that so for example like maybe um uh, in my in my student age if if i had seen for example a math problem that was graded incorrectly um i i might have like gone gone back to the teacher and um you know try to argue my case for why it should be changed and things. And I could have seen myself in those situations doing that in a very, very poor way. Like doing that in a not, not in a, in a way that doesn't like actually accomplish anything good or doesn't actually build any trust with my, my actual teacher. Um, just attempting to go in there and just like hammer down my point of view. Sure. Yeah. Um, nowadays I would know how to navigate that social interaction a little with a little more tact in addition to being able to apply like the the technical knowledge I have, so so that that would be like in hindsight the thing I would do differently, which is mm. how to actually interact with different types of people way 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 earlier, and also to figure out how to not just learn because I'm gullible, like to actually to to actually go the next step in critical thinking styles. And learning styles. Um, so, because um, okay, what the the last um, anecdote from from my my school days, which was uh, in sophomore year of college, we had a in one of our chemical engineering uh, classes, we had an exam, and I woke up late. I, I I woke up late, and I was like, I, I so I so I rushed over to the lecture hall. I I entered thirty minutes late, and there it was only a fifty minute class. And I, I walked up to the front and was like, can I still take the test? He was like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And I I just was so, that was the most laser focused I ever was. I just, I just went as hard as I could on every single problem, finished it off, and, and turned it in exactly when the bell rang, right? Next class comes around, the, the tests are graded. This was a pretty big lecture hall, so it was, and so it was about like 50 to 60 um, students, right? And they're like, all right, here are the tests, um, graded on a curve, et cetera. Let's see, three, three of you got 100%. And I actually specifically remember someone like within earshot gossiping, like, oh, it couldn't have been that kid that walked in 30 minutes late. <laughs> my kid's probably screwed. It was hard. That does was so hard. I get my test back, 100%. Could not believe it. And it was like, it was like, playing Russian roulette and ha dodging that bullet. And it, it was like an experience that I just never forgot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it taught me a ton about, about, well, one, it taught me about my latent learning ability, right? Which I, I was using as a crutch. And two, it, it taught me about like actual responsibilities and, and, and things like being late and, and, and procrastination and things like that. So in your mind, you were like, for sure, I am not one of those people. I, 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 I thought I failed. Right. 
I thought it was interesting. I could barely finish it in time. And I rushed and I made every decision as fast as I could almost like at at the expense of accuracy. That's crazy. Um, yeah, (laughs) don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. (laughs) Show up to test on time. (laughs) Oh man, that's great. Oh, so what about, um, can you speak to, uh, my question about maybe something they can do to like, I don't, I, I ask, I said get ahead, but I don't know if that's right. what, really what I'm asking. Like, I don't, do you know what I'm asking? <laughs> sort of, sort of. And I think in today's, um, at, at least with, with the internet now being well more fleshed out than it sure, is yeah. now, like a ton of like uh, resources available. If, if you have an interest in something like, you can just go look it up. Right, right. Video tutorial about it. There'll be someone that has written about it. There'll be, you know, maybe there's a, a blog about it. Maybe there's an entire YouTube channel dedicated to it. Maybe you can just browse around and, and find your interest. But go use, use there, there are at least resources out there for you to go it alone. Mm. Uh, I, 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 I could have only dreamed of having something like YouTube existing when I was growing up to look up all of these programming concepts that I was just naturally trying to figure out on my own. Like, Oh my gosh, my early attempts at learning object oriented programming as a child were, were terrible. They were, they were just awful. I was, I was the worst. And I had to keep like restarting, man, if I just had like a, you know, whatever simple YouTube course of 30 minutes that I could have watched as a kid, that could have that could have jumped me all the way up to where I was programming uh, wise at like to to a junior in high school immediately. Yeah, isn't that so insane? Yeah, so insane. There like, there are resources out there. Yes. So just so, be proactive is what you're saying. Yeah. If like <laughs> if you find an interest, like look into it. Yeah. And and there there will be something out there to help at least help you out to. To, to investigate what that is. And, and the other thing is like, don't also, don't be afraid to, to switch out of it also. Like, um, boy, the, they, they called them weed out courses in freshman year of engineering for a reason. Cause they did weed out people who weren't there for the right reasons or weren't even there with enough motivation, the, their correct motivations. Like go, go discover what your motivations are. That's, that's how you get ahead. If you, if you can, um, like, it's not going to be like me where, like I said, I, I knew in eighth grade what I was going to do, but if you, if you do have like an inkling into some interest in the science and technology field, like investigate it, like don't, don't just drop it. This is actually, especially a message for young girls out there because Mm -hmm. I've done volunteer work, uh, to do STEM education for, uh, women in engineering and, and girls in engineering. Oh, cool. And and often what happens is that it becomes viewed as like socially not cool or, you know, or a social experience to continue to enjoy science and mathematics. And very, very slowly over time, we're, 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 that, that's changing, but it's still, it's still not there yet. Like be okay with, with finding what you want to do and enjoying it. Like, yeah. like find, find the confidence and, and inner self-esteem. You, you notice how I'm not describing anything about actual engineering tech, technical skills at all, right? If you want to get ahead in engineering, it's all about discovering yourself. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like being more self-aware too, I think is another thing that I heard as you're talking. Um, <laughs> man, all all great things. Jason, thank you so much for just imparting your experience. And I really appreciated your transparency today because I feel like I learned so much about you. <laughs> um, and I know anyone listening is going to uh, really find this talk insightful. So thank you again. Um, for those of you that have any questions about uh, chemical engineering or research and development or computer programming and all the other things that Jason does. <laughs> um, I'm sure, would you mind somebody reaching out to you if they had any questions? Uh, no, that's, that's all right. Yeah. So I'm sure he would uh, love to chat with you. Um, I'm just like talking for him, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, please, please do not hesitate to uh, DM us um, on our Instagram, or you can email me at podcastweguwigu at gmail.com. Um, thank you again, Jason. Um, until next time, guys. See you later. Bye.